T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This is NFL Nuts Sunday with Ryan Hannibal, Kirk Minahan, Rich Keefe, and Christian Fourier. The ultimate football podcast. Let's get started with NFL Nuts Sunday. Now here's Ryan Hannibal. Welcome back to the Not Sunday podcast. No Christian Fourier this week. No Kirk Minahan. No Rich Keefe. But we have Casey Smith from Barstool Sports. Casey, thanks for joining me. Of course. It's good to hear your voice again. Yes, everybody knows Casey Smith, formerly of Comcast slash NBC Sports Boston, and now is at Barstool Sports and, and killing it, in my opinion. Um, well, thank you. I just wanted to just start off. I don't, there's not really a real easy place to start, but I guess what was the process like for you going from NBC to Barstool? I mean, it was insane. It happened pretty quickly, too, because around the Super Bowl when I was in Minnesota with NBC Sports Boston, I kind of knew that I was already going to be leaving to go to Barstool, but we couldn't announce it yet. So it was like a whirlwind trying to kind of balance both. I did some radio with Barstool while I was there, but we had to announce that I was leaving. And it's cool because the reason that Dave Portnoy found me was because of NBC Sports Boston, because obviously being a Boston guy, he's paying attention to the market. So a couple of years ago, I'm in Texas covering college football. And then fast forward two years later, I'm in New York City with Barstool because of the stop in Boston, which... I'll be thankful for but it's been a whirlwind. It's a crazy madhouse here, but I love every second of it. Did you know what you're going to do at Barstool when you first started and when you were approached by Dave? Did he have like a set plan for you or is it just sort of what it seems like from the outside is just get a, get someone in there and then see what happens from there? It's kind of a mixture of both. I think I was a different case because he knew that I had covered college football with ESPN and he knew that I loved college football and didn't necessarily get to talk much about that. Uh, in Boston, obviously, because people up in Boston don't necessarily care very much. So he was envisioning me being a part of their big college football show, which we just launched last week. It's me, Dave, and Big Cat. So it's a a lot of of fun. But he knew that after my contract ended at NBC Sports, he was going to have to get me in immediately if he wanted to have me for football season. So he knew that was part of the plan. He knew radio was part of the plan. And obviously talking for three hours a night on TV in Boston helped the idea if he could just throw me into things. But it is kind of just a trial and error. It's where you fit, where you don't. The cool thing about him and the way he hires people is he doesn't hire them for a specific thing. He hires talent that he knows can grow a specific thing at Barstool, and that's why everybody's so different here. I and mean, that's why we have stand-up comedians and then sports people and pop culture people. He just wants to get as much talent as he can under the Barstool logo. Do you sort of like that, that you're not limited to just sports all the time, that you can sort of branch off and sort of discuss, write, talk, anything, anything that's really in the news? Do you like that, where you're not just hindered to just sports all the time? Right. I mean, it's just like whatever you're talking about that day, it's like, oh, like I'm thinking about, you know, whatever's happened in pop culture. We can bring that up, you know, like the Drake stuff. Like I, it just depends on whatever it may be. However, I love the idea that my main thing is sports. And obviously that's like the only thing that I'm good at is sports. So I like that there's the avenues where there's more freedom and you can say what you're actually thinking without having to go through 
the crazy X's and O's on everything. It's what people are talking about. And if you want to talk about something that's outside of sports, you have that freedom to. But I like to stick to sports here because I think that that's what makes me different than a lot of other people here. Just like I could never do stand-up comedy, but we have Francis, who's a stand-up comedian. That's what he does, and I could never begin to try that. So I try to stick to that brand. But, yeah, I mean, we can walk in here and talk about whatever we want, which Mm. is crazy different from anywhere else I've ever been. For sure. Did you get any pushback from your friends or family or anyone for, you know, going to Barstool? You know, in Boston, I didn't, because obviously you guys in Boston know Barstool well. That's where it started and and have an understanding of what the brand is. I did have some pushback from people uh, that I grew up with, or especially in my family that are older, that just know the scandals of Barstool and the controversy of Barstool, because there's been plenty and, you know, it's no secret. So that was more of like, okay, well, why are you going to a company that has that reputation. And my biggest thing that I said was, look, I mean, it's growing in a different way. They hired Eric and Arvini as a CEO to grow it outside of just a certain brand. But just because those things have been said doesn't mean that the platform isn't massive and that I can help grow a different audience. But there's definitely pushback, definitely a lot of questions of why I would leave network television, especially if I'd only ever been with a network. But at the same time, I think once people realized how big Barstool is, it kind of made more sense. Mm-hmm. And then once you got there, what, what was what was the initial process like? I remember, I, forget, I think maybe you're on Section 10 podcast and you're like, I don't, don't really know what to do. I'm just trying <laughs> to stay busy. I'm not really a writer, but I guess it seems like you've learned how to write and now you're, you know, you're blogging every once in a while. Like what, what was the whole thing like? Did, did you feel like, not scared, but like you know what to do and you just sort of thrown into the fire and kind of had to navigate without much direction? What was it like? Yeah, I mean, you nailed that. Like, that's exactly the way I felt when I sat down with Jared Kravitz, who I knew prior to coming here because of NBC Sports Boston. He was like, you know, we'll have you on the podcast, and people who listen to this obviously know who you are from Boston Sports Tonight, but, like, you know, what are you going to do here? And I didn't know that answer. I knew that football season was really what Dave's vision was for me, but I was like, well, okay, so I come to work, and I wasn't hired for a specific show yet. What do I do? And that's why I started blogging. I'd never written professionally in my life. Like, I had to write for college. But I was like, well, they've given me the freedom to basically just write whatever I want to, so I'll give this a try. And I actually enjoy that outlet. Uh, Not as much as TV and radio, because I like to talk, and as I said, pretty much the only thing I'm good at when it comes to sports. But at the same time, like, I just had to figure out where I could fit in to basically get me to football season. And we launched a podcast comeback season with Johnny Manziel, had Danny Amendola on over the summer, those types of things to basically just get my foot in the door of football. But yeah, no, there was no direction when you got here, but that's the Barstool difference. They hire as many people that they think can help the brand, and then it's kind of sink or swim. You figure it out when you get here. If you don't, then you're not a part of Barstool anymore. That sort of leads me perfectly into the next question. How did the comeback season come about? Was that anyone else's idea? Was it your idea? And then how did it all sort of come together? So it was kind of a collaboration, and I I think that the biggest thing that obviously attracted Dave, like I said, to hiring somebody like me was that not only had I covered college football, I lived like the craziness of college football because I graduated from Texas A&M in 2012, which was the same year that Johnny Manziel won the Heisman, and Johnny and Dave have a relationship uh, through Barstool because, of course, Barstool's right up the Johnny Manziel brand as well. And so we kind of talked about what – that could look like and what a podcast would look like and it just we all got together including Johnny and his agent and decided you know what let's see what we can do because Johnny is trying to come back it's not just you know a hashtag on Twitter he's trying to rebrand himself and get a second chance from all the things that he did wrong in his first in the NFL so when he signed with the CFL and we decided hey like why not try this and see where it goes 
And the one week that he couldn't do it, you know, we get Danny Amendola on the podcast and kind of do the same branding of like coming back from injuries or coming back from certain things in your career. Danny's had a lot of success, but it's still the same idea of just like getting voices out there in an unedited, completely uncensored way. And that's what I love so much about doing this is because they can talk freely without anybody trying to control their narrative because Barstool's not going to do that. Mm -hmm. And obviously you knew Johnny from back at school. What was the, did you have any relationship with him at school? Did you know each other then? We did. So my first year out of school, I worked locally for a place called techsags.com and that was his Heisman year. And he was very close to the person who owned TechSags. Like basically the Dave Portnoy of TechSags.com was one of Johnny's close friends. So he did a lot of exclusives with us. So it was really cool to be able to be a part of that season just as an Aggie and working locally. And I actually got my job with ESPN kind of sideways from Johnny because they threw me live on my first ever audition with the SEC Network. They said, hey, you've got an hour. We were at SEC Media Days. You have an hour to prepare we're going to have you talking about how the A&M offense is going to replace Johnny Manziel, and we're going to talk all about college football. Ready, set, go. And I guess I did a good enough job because that took off, and I ended up working for ESPN for the next couple of years. So it's a really weird roundabout come full circle with Johnny. And obviously, as a human being, I want to see him do well just because I think everybody deserves a second chance. But as a football fan, I want to see if he can be good as a professional football player. We don't know that yet. So it's a, it's a lot of different layers, but – Oh uh, yeah, we've known each other from the very beginning. I actually worked for the football team his redshirt year, so it's been a, a a long time relationship. But now we've gotten closer just through this podcast, and we're having a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, it's it seems like he's really relaxed with with you and it's, and his agent. It just seems like that's a natural fit. What, what do you think? Some of the, I guess, do, do you think just he gets a bad rap? Like, is he real? Like, what does he really like as a person? I think that, I mean, there's a lot of things that are said about him that are fair. I mean, he definitely made a lot of mistakes, and that's one thing that I always say when people ask me, I go, how in the world could you ever partner with somebody like Johnny Manziel? It's like, well, because just because I'm partnering with somebody, the same thing with the Barstool thing doesn't mean that I'm backing every single thing someone's ever said and done. It just means that I believe in the brand or believe in the person, and Johnny's always been great with me. Uh, We had a professional relationship from the beginning, and so I feel like, the biggest difference that I've seen with him from his time at A&M to now is that he is a, he sees it differently. He realizes he has to put in the work, and he truly wants to prove that he deserves that second chance. He understands that people aren't going to give it to him. He understands there's a lot of people out there that see some of the things that went on and say, okay, I'm done with this kid. And then there are a lot of people that say, hey, you get in a dark place, you prove that you deserve that second chance, and we'll give it to you. So as a person who's known him for a long time and who's become professional and friends with him, I think that – the biggest thing I see with him is he is a different person and he believes uh, that he knows he needs to change. And if the CFL is that route, it's the route. I have no idea if he's going to make it to the NFL or not, but he's at least trying. He's making those, those right steps in the positive direction. He's married to an incredible girl and doing everything he can to kind of change that narrative and hope that people will give him those chances. And that, to me, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're an Aggie or if you're anybody else in the world, I think everybody deserves those chances. Mm-hmm. I would completely agree with that. And you mentioned the the college football show that launched last week, I believe. Was that the thing that you were sort of brought on to Barstool for? And so I guess, how was it like to start in that show? Do you enjoy that show? Are you more comfortable in that show? Because that's sort of what you came from in a way, is hosting a show. Like, what, What's that been like? What do, you, what do you like about the show so far? 
So, yeah, it launched last week, and we're going to do most of them in the studio in New York. We'll also be traveling and going on the road. The first game we're going to go to is the Wisconsin-Michigan game, which will be insane. Oh, because obviously, Yeah, right? Like, Big Cat went to Wisconsin, right. and Dave went to Michigan, so it'll be crazy. But the, what, what I really like about that is it kind of blends everything I've ever done in my career all into one, and it's the best of all worlds for me. So I get to do basically a TV show because it's on a TV set, so a lot of background there talk about college football, which is my number one passion, and then have that barstool freedom and flair where you can talk about whatever you want without having to be scripted to a certain thing in sports. And so we're having a lot of fun kind of bridging all of those different things, and I absolutely love it. It's only one week that we've done, but I knew walking away from it that it was like, okay, this is what I'm meant to do. This is where my best skill set is, and it's taking everything I've learned at all my stops along the way and putting it into one. So basically, if I fail at this, I'm doomed. (laughs) I'm doomed. There's like, this is all I could ask for. So this is, this is something that we're really excited about. And, uh, and I think, yeah, I mean, it makes me most comfortable because I'm back on a TV set, you know, with, with real TV cameras and makeup and the whole thing, which is a lot of fun. How is it preparing for, for a show with Dave and Big Cat, who from the outside seem like they're all over the place compared to being, say, in the newsroom at, at Comcast and NBC Sports, where, it's, you know, you're doing a three-hour show with people who that's what they do for, you know, a living and, and stuff like that. How is it different for you? Like, how do you, how do you have to adapt yourself? Oh, it's an adjustment. It is an adjustment because I way over-prepare for the stuff that I do here because I'm so used to having, like you mentioned, the newsroom with the stats and the the conversations that are going on where the you know everything's in a rundown and the producers know when to run certain graphics and stuff. And then here it's like, all right, let's just talk about what we want to. And I think that that's like the it's a cool thing to experience on both sides because you really see how different things work. But the reason that Barstool has been so absolutely successful from the very beginning, even though it took a little bit for it to grow, is because Dave Portnoy is Dave Portnoy. Nothing is going to change. When the cameras turn on, that's who he is when the cameras are off. And that's what I'm learning with this show is that it's, yeah, you have to prepare what you're going to say and what you're going to talk about to a certain degree, but that the real reason people tune in to Barstool is because they want to see those unfiltered personalities that aren't scripted. So the preparation is a lot different, and neither one of them, I think, are better or worse. It's just a different type of of media, but that is an adjustment for me because I'm so used to being so prepared with numbers and stats and matchups and all those things, and that's not what people come to Barstool for. So it's mixing and matching those different skill sets. And I think Dan, Big Cat, does a great job at that because he can talk all the X's and O's that you need him to, but he's also a crazy personality, and that's why part of my take is so successful. Mm -hmm. How was it like working for Dave? Was it an adjustment period? Was there a moment that you sort of, I guess, knew what Dave was all about and knew you know, how, how he runs things and maybe how he's a lot different than someone else you ever had to work for? What's it like working for him? He's great. Working for Dave is great. It is different than anywhere else I've ever been. I think that's because he's so much more accessible. I mean, like you walk into Barstool's headquarters on the content floor and you walk basically almost right into Dave's office or Erica Nardini, the CEO, is right across the hall as well. So you can get in to see them at any point. I think the moment that I really realized just how working for Dave was going to be is the first time I ever met with him. Uh, we grabbed a drink in Boston before one of the Patriots games, and it was actually when he w- they were doing the clown towels and the clown yep. shirts, and we were just meeting just because he was interested in hearing about Boston sports tonight and you know kind of my path in college football. And the whole time he's getting text messages about how pissed the NFL and Roger Goodell are about these shirts. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there like, this guy is like, he's running a you know hundred million dollar company. He's part of the main 
site content. I mean, he is the content here, and he's dealing with, you know, people getting pissed off at him from the NFL and Roger Goodell. It's just like a wild, you know, I just couldn't believe that this person was handling all of it at once. But Dave knows what works and what doesn't, and I think that's, again, what makes him so successful. He's going to say what he thinks, and that's, I think, a lot different than in networks because there's a structure. You have to – you can't just come in to work every day and say whatever you want at any point at a lot of places, and that's just not in sports. That's anywhere. You can't just walk into a corporate office and just spout off whatever you're thinking, but he can, and that's why – Barstool is the way that it is, mm-hmm. but I, I love working for this company. It's an adjustment, like I said, but uh, it's, it's a fun adjustment, and the freedom is great. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the, the atmosphere and how Dave and Eric are so accessible. For people who really like haven't seen pictures, what, take us through like the, 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 the layout of the office. Like you, The computers are right on top of each other, from what I've seen, and you're just always yeah, it was yeah. communication. Like, what's, what's that like? Is that something different than you've ever experienced before? Is it create, what, what kind of atmosphere does it create? So we have two floors in the middle of Manhattan, and the the second floor, which is the first floor for us, is all sales and advertising. It's professional. It's exactly what you think it would be. You walk in, like the pretty parts of Barstool, right? Like all the people making all the money and the merch room and everything like that. And then you come upstairs to the content floor, which is where we are. The way I and you've been in newsrooms, so you understand. The way I would describe it is basically. You take a television newsroom and you mix it with a frat house. And you put a whole bunch of people on top of each other, and that's basically what this place is. And when they started renting this place, Barstool was a lot smaller, so there wasn't a million people stacked on top of each other. But now there is, and it's, like I said, it's a frat house. I mean, there's you know, cra- like there's just crap everywhere. You know, you've seen Big Cat's Corner on social media. It's just, like, people walk in, like, when we have celebrities or athletes come in, and they look at it like, how is this a hundred-plus million-dollar company? But that's the way it is, and it's just a bunch of dudes mix a couple of girls in and, and just content is just constantly coming out. Like not everybody's working on one thing, which I think is the biggest difference in mm-hmm. a newsroom. Do you guys have set hours or is it sort of just depending on what you're working on that given day? Like it's, it's obviously not a nine to five job, but does it sort of depend on what you make your own schedule, I guess? Yeah. So it's like if, whenever you are making your content is when you're supposed to be in, they obviously expect everybody to be in making content every day. And that's the cool thing is that there's not, you know, a list of saying, oh, you have to be here at this time to do this. It's if you're on a radio show at 7 a.m., you've got to be here for then. You know when you're going to be recording your podcast. So for me, and I can only speak for myself with scheduling, but it's I just know when I need to be in here uh, for certain things. And then when I'm not specifically doing something, I'm blogging or I'm collaborating with people downstairs with merch or looking forward to different things. And so uh, that's what makes it a whirlwind. People are coming and going all day. Our studio, uh, our serious radio studio is in headquarters. We have a podcast studio as well. So there's just constantly everything going on at once. And like we have concerts in the middle of the office some days. It's insane. It's just like, it's a whirlwind, but it works. It's like a well-oiled machine that's not well-oiled at all, but it works, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And I guess going back to when you were in Boston, are there some stuff that you learn from being on TV for three hours a night that you can take into what you're doing now at Barstool? Like, what are some of the things that you've taken from your job in Boston and bring them to your life now? Well, it's definitely having thicker skin, I'll tell you that, because people yeah. in Boston, they don't mess around. Like, I came from... You know, obviously working for ESPN and doing college football games, I felt like there wasn't near as much pressure. I think the pressure of working in Boston and really understanding a city like Boston, which I believe this wholeheartedly, that it's the best sports city in the country, and the pressure that you have to have 
to not only know what you're talking about, to, but to present it and be entertaining at the same time for three hours a night, learning that and learning how to really accept that and appreciate that, that's huge at Barstool because it just kind of translates the same way. Now, it's not network television. It's not the buttoned up, you know, here's a segment and a commercial break and all of that, but it's the same thing. It's Barstool fans are crazy, insane, passionate, just like the people of Boston are, which is why it all mixes so I absolutely loved working in Boston, and I'm not just saying that because on your podcast. I love that because it made me so much better as a person professionally because it was like, okay, you have to have thick skin, but you have to put in the work. And I think at Barstool, it's a mixture of that as well and show your personality. And that's why guys like Kirk, you know, he is who he is unapologetically in Boston, and that's why he's done so well. It's the same thing here at Barstool. You have to be who you are or people can see really quickly that it's an act, and those are when things fail. Mm-hmm. And obviously, when you came to Boston, you really probably didn't know much about Boston sports at all. I mean, going to Texas A&M and being all about college football and now being immersed in a city that really doesn't care about college football and is all about the pro teams. And I'm sure you had no, you know, in, no real factual knowledge about the Red Sox or anything like that. But it seemed like that you took that really seriously and made, you know, put in the time and effort to learn about these teams, be knowledgeable about those teams, to talk about it on the air. What were some of the things that, that you did to sort of become knowledgeable on the teams? So the Patriots were really the easiest for me because I grew up a big football fan just in general. I mean, college football first and foremost. But, I mean, the Patriots since the early 2000s were national stories all the time. So I knew the Patriots history with Tom Brady since I was a kid. I mean, that's like – I mean, I was in, what, I think fifth grade when they won the first Super Bowl, maybe sixth. So I knew the Patriots, but you're right. All the other teams – I mean, I knew the Celtics um, as as an NBA fan, but not the deep history. And the Red Sox, obviously – pay attention to sports you know a lot about the Red Sox but to learn those teams as deeply as I had to honestly I listened to sports talk radio just days on end before I moved to Boston I would turn on different shows throughout the day and just listen to what the people of Boston really cared about because if you just read the internet and you read different articles you're not really getting a pulse of what people in a city want to talk about radio is the way to do that so listen to a lot of radio read a lot of books a lot of history books of, you know, just like the Franconi years and stuff yep. like that to understand why the city is the way it is. But I also didn't come in and think like, oh, I'm going to trick all these people into thinking that I can rattle off the batting lineup from the 1998 Red Sox. I mean, I wasn't going to try to do that because that would be false and obviously I'd look like a fraud. So I tried to balance both like, hey, I'm from outside of Boston. I know Boston. I'm learning Boston and I'm going to study Boston. And I think that's why, for the most part, I was accepted Uh, doing that television show because I didn't try to fake that I was some Boston expert because I clearly wasn't. I just knew the current pulse because I worked really hard at doing that. Some people still didn't like me because I was from Texas, but uh, I, like I said, I've fallen in love with Boston. I'm back in Boston almost every other weekend. So uh, you guys can't get rid of me yet. Who do you miss most at at NBC sports, Boston? Tom Curran. That's an easy one. I miss everybody though. I really do. Like I had a great time. It was very hard for me to make the decision to leave. And that's, I think, a misconception sometimes when I talk to people. It's like, oh, you must have you know, hated it if you left after a year. That's not the case at all. I really enjoyed my time, and my contract was only a year. I loved what we built. Uh, but Tom Curran, he's something else. Like he, he was one of the first people there that really helped me kind of be immersed into the culture and helped me become uh, comfortable with Boston and comfortable with the Patriots. And you never know what he's going to say, which mm-hmm. I love. And uh, he kept me laughing on a regular basis. So I keep in touch with everybody over there. I go back a lot. 
Um, but Tom Curran's like that. That's like if I had a best friend that was like that could be my dad, it'd be Tom Curran. Curran actually means a lot to me. He got me in the business. He uh, when I was in college That's before right. before Twitter like existed, I would email Tom Curran questions about the Patriots, and he would respond, and that turned into him getting me an internship at Comcast doing like product right. production stuff. Um, but Karn's great. Karn's best. And like you said, you never know what you're going to get from him because he so doesn't take himself <laughs> seriously. You never know what you're going to get. But yeah, Karn is and isn't great. And it great that he like helps, like he helps people that he doesn't have to help. I mean, you're a prime example. I'm a prime example. Like he, he didn't have to help me. He didn't have to help you, but he does. And I think that's what like speaks to who he is as a person too. Like he's just a good dude. That's also a crazy Boston sports fan. Completely agree. Completely agree. The morning guys would kill me if I didn't ask you about the time you went out with them at Border Cafe with, with, with Gary Tangway. What do you remember about that night? Well, Gary sandbagged me, and he's not going to ever admit that he did, but he made it seem like we were going to Border Cafe. It was around Christmas time to, like, have a drink, like, casually at the bar. And he's like, oh, you know, you can come meet Kirk. Like, you know, obviously you guys know who each other are. And I think Kirk and I had you know, spoken a little bit on Twitter, but – like, he made it seem like it was a very casual setting that we would just kind of be, like, in and out. And I walk in, and it's, like, the radio show's Christmas dinner yep. or something insane. It's, like, they had, like, a chair for me. I was, like, oh, my God, Gary, really? But it was cool to, like, see them in that setting. Like, okay, like, this is the way it is. But I also was afraid anything that I said, I was, like, is this going to be used on radio tomorrow? Like, I know that this is what happens. But they're good dudes. I think, I think that that gave me the opportunity to show them that I'm not just – you know, a blonde-headed girl from Texas, too. They might still say that. I'm not sure. Uh, but I think they got to see a little bit more of my personality. But at the end of the day, Gary Tangway completely sandbagged me. But it was still a good time. I actually saw the picture the other day of, that they took of you there next to um, Ken Laird, who looks very scared. What do you remember about Ken? <laughs> I remember everybody being really nice. I remember him being nice, too. They kept giving him a hard time. I mean, I know that doesn't surprise you. Like, Kirk was giving everybody a hard time not all that night. And I think it was, like, just the... The moment that I realized that I was like, okay, like these guys all really like each other. It's like we're sitting there and they're all giving each other hell about things, but nobody was getting their feelings hurt, which I mean, you can't. If you work for that show, you can't have, you know, you have to have tough skin, but those guys were great. And I remember looking at the picture later and being like, why does everyone look so uncomfortable to be around me? That's not the way the dinner was. I thought everything went well, but uh, I wasn't there for very long. But like I said, if, uh, if Gary wouldn't have talked me into that, then maybe I wouldn't have gotten to see that they're just normal dudes that just like to talk a bunch of shit to each other. I don't know if I can swear on your podcast. Yes, you can but... swear in the podcast. Oh, yes, well, Kirk, Kirk, Kirk's usually on the podcast, and there are a lot of swears with Kirk. Oh, well, that's, you know what? That's a huge difference of Barstool and being anywhere else is that I can swear as much as I want. So I kind of forget sometimes. I actually dropped like a really nice shit on – that sounded gross. I, wrote, <laughs> I said like bullshit <laughs> – I said bullshit on Fox Sports Radio the other day and completely forgot. And you would have thought that I just like offended everybody. They're like, you cannot say that. And that's, I forget all the time that I can't. So I'm glad that I'm not going to get in trouble on yours. Feels good just to drop a nice F on every once in a while. It does. So last but not least, what do you have coming up at bar? So what are you looking forward to most this fall? Is it going on the road for some big college football games for your show? Yes. So the biggest thing that I'm looking forward to is that we're going to be taking it on the road and it's going to be like basically an irreverent college game day. That's what we're going to try to create at least. And they did it a little bit last year and it just ended up not working out from a technical standpoint. But I mean, it's going out and partying with all the Barstool fans, talking college football and just being completely uncensored. And that's going to be awesome. 
All right, thanks for joining me, Casey. Fans can follow Casey and all her work at Barstool on Twitter at, at Casey Smith. And I'm sure big things will continue, as they always do over there at Barstool. Oh, well, thanks so much for having me. Anytime. Thanks a lot, Casey. Bye. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.